All right. Hey, youth workers. Welcome to the show. Glad you're here. If you're brand spanking new to the show, I want to thank you for investigating the Youth Ministry Motion podcast. Um, hang around because I think you'll uh, enjoy what you're going to hear. And then if you're uh, a regular, thank you again for uh, being with us. Um, you know, they say that you are either going into, are in, or coming out of a crisis. And in youth ministry, the spaces between those seem very, very short, it seems. Uh, that's why I have uh, my new friend Jim Hancock on the show with me today. Uh, Jim is the author of the Youth Worker's Guide to Helping Teenagers in Crisis, as well as the Parent's Guide to Helping Teenagers in Crisis. And he has a few other youth ministry resources as well. Uh, he also provides creative services and developing, plus uh, you know, delivering original content through digital movies, live events, uh, books and learning designs, all those kind of things on his website at thetinycompanycalledme.com, which we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, a little bit later because there are some fantastic resources on there. Jim, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Paul. Glad to be with you. Well, Jim, uh, it seems that, uh, you know, every time, and I don't know if too much of this has changed, but uh, it just seems like when we turn around on the news, there is a crisis. In fact, that's why news exists. If crisis didn't exist, news would not exist, I imagine. Uh, there would be nothing to report. But um, in the lives of teenagers, it feels much the same way, um, you know, being a youth worker and coming in from week to week. Somebody's uh, going through something. Something's happening. And I, and I was wondering, um, you know, when is it? Because I've raised three kids of my own. And, um, you know, every day is a crisis of something. Uh, I had a girl and two boys. So I'm going to be uh, a little biased and say that my my girl had a little more crisis than maybe some of the boys did. But you know, when we're talking about this, what is, um, you know, when kids are growing up, how do we differentiate between, um, uh, you know, everyday crisis and crisis that um, maybe has far more reaching impact? I think if, uh, an easy way to understand it, or at least an easy way to, to describe it, is that if a person's normal routines of daily living are disrupted by an event or an experience, they're in crisis. Um, there are sort of three different categories of crisis. Uh, the, the adjustment crisis, which is that sort of thing that just happens. You know, you move to a, a new school or your best friend moves away or there's a new youth pastor. I mean, almost anything uh, can create a, an adjustment crisis. And most of the time, those kind of last about a month. Uh, or to turn that over, if they last beyond a month, then, then maybe there's a reason to, to pay even closer attention. Um, when I say adjustment crisis, I, uh, I, I want to make sure that I don't dismiss that because uh, there, there can be an enormous amount of, uh, of pain associated uh, with an adjustment crisis. And um, some of the issues that we find ourselves dealing with that escalate into really, really uh, difficult circumstances start as events that could be an adjustment crisis. Um, Nicholas Cruz, for example, in, in Florida, who shot over 30 people and killed uh, more than half of them, um, went through a breakup uh, with a girlfriend. And that could, under other circumstances, have been an adjustment crisis. It could have been really hard and really painful um, and not deadly. So uh, all, all that to say is that um, there are some things that if we uh, help kids deal with them 
in short order, uh, they adjust rather quickly. There are other crises that are, are chronic. They just keep popping up over and over again. Uh, eating disorders are, are chronic crises, right? They, they, they seem to be resolved, uh, and then they're not. Um, there are a lot of, <clears throat> of issues that uh, uh, just pop up over and over again so that uh, a, a kid or a parent or a youth worker kind of never really knows uh, what's up. And uh, those crises can escalate as well. They're not usually deadly, uh, but, but they can be over the long term. The acute crisis, that's, it, it, that, that's the crisis that really needs uh, attention right now. A suicide threat is an acute crisis. A threat uh, to, to kill or harm others is an acute crisis. And that's a no kid and get help right now kind of, of a situation. It's a don't leave the kid alone uh, uh, until you've got some support uh, or until you've handed him or her off into the care of somebody else who can uh, can engage and, and help them even more than, than you can. Um, but it all goes back around to that, that notion that they can't function normally when they are in crisis. And by they, I really mean all of us. Right. Uh, we all experience those, those moments of crisis or those periods of crisis when um, on a continuum from, eh, it's just, I'm just, you know, I'm just not doing okay to, I don't think I'm going to live anymore. Um, all of those can fall within the general range of, uh, of a crisis if they disrupt the way we normally live. Is that more answer that you had question? No, no, absolutely not, because I think you brought up a great word there, and that's the word dismissive. Um, I think, and correct me and fill me in, do you think that we as a society are too dismissive? Do you think youth workers or parents or we just kind of say, oh, they'll be fine. You know, we say things like, well, they're just teenagers. I mean, I've heard people say this, and, and upon occasion I've said it myself. And do you, do you think we tend to be maybe, uh, you know, either gloss it over or, or, or just are not paying attention? I think both of those are, are true. I, I think frequently we're not listening. The, 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 the signals are clear to us uh, in their affect, right? They're, they're the physical expression of their emotional lives. Uh, they're there in our, if we're lucky, in their words. Uh, they're, they're there in, in their uh, level of energy, whether they are engaged or disengaged. And uh, if we know them and don't ask questions about those kinds of things, then um, then it's on us. I think we we have dismissed their uh, their, their cues, their physical and, and verbal cues that, that would tell us um, that something's not quite right. Um, we also are are uh, dismissive when we treat things as if they were. Um, you know, air quotes here, phases, uh, stages. Uh, people don't have their lives disrupted, the way they live normally disruptive uh, for long periods of time. And by long periods, I mean weeks uh, over something that's just a phase or, or a stage. Uh, and our Ability to ask the kinds of questions that uh, that will get the answers we need to, to understand how kids actually doing um, is all in our hands, right? If if we're paying attention, we can see, and if we choose to see what we're seeing, then we can ask and uh, keep asking until 
we're satisfied that we understood until the, the young person is also satisfied that we've understood. Right. And, and I, I think that's so key there, Jim, because too, because on a Wednesday night, you know, if you have a large group or even if you don't, you're, you're busy doing a lot of things. You're, you're, you know, concerned about the program and things like this going on. And sometimes those signs and signals can be missed um, simply because we're focused on making sure the, the program runs. And yet we're, we're missing out on connecting with students and, um, I can't remember who said it, but they they said the first this is the most important time of your youth meeting is the 30 minutes before and the 30 minutes after your youth meeting, um, because that's the time when you really get to just look in kids eyes and, and hang out and and really have those conversations. Maybe that if you feel like something's going on, um, that it might come out during that time, or at least we can ask, you know, ask some key questions to see where that where that goes. Um, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, I learned pretty early on to uh, develop my peripheral vision, especially in that half hour before and that half hour after. Uh, and, and it was interesting how often I would, if I turned my head just the tiniest bit left or right, I would find somebody um, waiting um, and embarrassed or afraid to, to, to close with me, to ask a question or to say, can we, can we talk? But as soon as I turned and, and made eye contact, and said, uh, what's up? They would answer. Uh, and sometimes it, they just wanted a, you know, a quick connection. Uh, but very often uh, they were wrestling with something. And uh, learning to do that and, and teaching volunteers in youth ministry and interns and whoever's around, right? Sponsors, whatever, whatever we've got to, to work uh, the angles on that stuff and, and pay attention to uh, kids' physical proximity to us and uh, knowing that if they want something they're gonna that doesn't mean they're gonna ask for it uh, but if they're invited to ask it, uh, many if not most kids will right and I think I think that leads into our next question because um, like I said so giving kids that opportunity in that time and I think a, a lot of youth workers uh, maybe don't see themselves as uh, professional counselors, and certainly they're not psychologists or, or anything like that. Uh, they see themselves as, you know, preachers or um, program directors or things like that. You know, what are some, some basic steps you think for youth workers? Uh, and some of that you may have just included in there is, do you, you know, do you advise youth workers to take in an approaching um, a crisis kind of situation if they think one is maybe developing? It starts with what you said, with acknowledging that I'm not a counselor. Uh, I'm not licensed by the state. I'm not trained by uh, an institution, uh, educational institution that that uh, offers a, a degree program. I don't have the, the, the deep knowledge and practice that would qualify me for that. And so I don't call myself a counselor, and I don't call what I do counseling. Uh, I'm a disciple maker. I'm a pastor. I'm uh, an adult um, sort of crossing boundaries into the world of ad adolescence to, uh, to make connections where I can. And, and um, one of my friends says we're senseis, right? The, uh, the notion of, of being in, in the dojo and, and martial arts and the, the sensei is not uh, the master, the sensei is, is uh, the word apparently literally means one who is further along. Um, and beginning from that point of, uh, of humility and openness, 
I, I think is square one because it uh, it means that I don't have to protect my position uh, and I don't have to take it personally if my star student, if there is such a thing, right, is is all of a sudden struggling um, or has uh, wandered off into the tall grass and, and gotten lost. Yeah, so, yeah. beginning with with me and unpacking my own baggage to make sure that I'm uh, that I'm not uh, uh, posing rather than being a, a youth worker. Um, asking questions is uh, is the most important skill I, th- I think we have. Right? If if we see that somebody. Uh, wants to talk with us or we see somebody that we think we want to talk with because uh, there are things that that, uh, that trouble us, uh, then sermons are of almost no use uh, compared with questions. Uh, a good question uh, Wayne Rice once told me is a question to which you don't know the answer, uh, which I just th- thought and think was is brilliant. Um, if I ask a question that only uh, the person I'm talking with can answer, then he or she is the expert uh, at that point. So asking uh, good questions of a kid who seems to be struggling or who acknowledges that she's struggling is uh, is an enormous skill and not, not leaping to conclusions. Uh, we often think about crises as, uh, uh, as onions that have lots and lots of layers. And uh, part of our job in asking good questions is to peel those layers until we get right down to the heart of the thing and uh, and a person can acknowledge, yes, that's the problem. Uh, The presenting problem is not always the real problem, if that makes sense. Um, Sometimes uh, what what we see uh, is anger, uh, but what's underneath it is fear. And... um, we can send people to their room to think about it uh, because their anger seems inappropriate to us, or we can help them deal with the fear that uh, has them frustrated and anxious and, and maybe lashing out rather than reaching out. And um, we won't have to send them to their room. Uh, we, we can walk alongside them and, and help them. So listening uh, would, would be you know, skill one. Uh, assessing what it all means is, is kind of the, the second skill uh, that has been useful to me to, to look at, at patterns in a person's life. And I don't always know the patterns, right? In, in a busy youth group, uh, there may be lots of people showing up uh, around the fringes that it takes time to get to know them. And, and, and so I need help from that student or, or that student's friends to, to assess very clearly where they're really at. And, and uh, to, but, but trying to find patterns in what's going on in a person's family and their uh, their athletic uh, experience or their artistic experience, you know, if they're in band or, or drama club or whatever that might be, and what, what's happening, you know, they have a part-time job, is, do they live in a safe neighborhood, blah, 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 right? There are just a hundred different variables uh, that sometimes uh, help me uh, make an educated guess uh, and then check that guess by asking uh, good questions to assess the level of of threat involved. Um, It's absolutely the case that if somebody uh, seems to be a threat to themselves or or a threat to others, uh, I've learned to go on high alert um, and to ask questions uh, very specifically if 
uh, if they've made a, a threat against themselves or, or against another person. Um, it is a little bit less intense, in my view, uh, if they have done some minor self-harm. Um, occasionally somebody will, will do some hair pulling or, or a, a little scratching on their, uh, their arm with a, uh, with a paper clip or something like that. And um, I've learned not to believe that that means that they're suicidal uh, or that they are uh, in deep uh, crisis, deep, deep trouble. And yet it is a sign that they are in some level of crisis. Um, so if I see signs that, that uh, somebody is doing self-harm, I, I want to, I want to ask the questions that will lead me uh, into that. I'll come back around to that again in, in a second. Um, the, the notion on the other hand, or, or extending beyond that, that somebody is, is really, uh, in a space where she just doesn't think she wants to live uh, or that a person really thinks that uh, somebody has got to pay for the disrespect that, uh, that he perceives or maybe, you know, has the marks to prove uh, that's a person uh, who is in or at the verge of being in an acute crisis that, that really needs attention um, and r- referral to somebody who knows more than me is the destination almost every time. Um, not every time, but almost every time. Uh, because I'm not a counselor, I'm not a therapist, I'm uh, not a professional crisis uh, fixer. Uh, I'm a disciple maker, I'm a youth worker. So who do I know who can uh, help this person even more than me? Um, I'm not going to ditch this person. I'm not going to abandon this person or a family. Um, but, uh, but I do want to bring in somebody who, who knows more specifically what to do uh, about a crisis that's chronic, like an eating disorder. I'm not really well prepared to deal with eating disorders, uh, more than I used to be, right? Uh, but... Uh, but still, it's, it's a long road for most, most people who are suffering through uh, eating disorders. Um, so why not bring somebody uh, in who can give more aid and, and more comfort? Which means uh, doing some work in advance. Um, I need to have a, uh, a crisis referral sheet or section in my, in my calendar or contact center that, that I can turn to to get help uh, when I realize uh, I'm in a little bit over my head or when I uh, am concerned about the safety uh, of a person. Um, I build my uh, crisis contact list based on uh, two things. Number one, I ask people uh, who are around, adults, uh, fellow staff members at a church or a religious organization, teachers at school, blah, 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 parents who've been through crisis with their kids or who uh, are well positioned in the community, who would you go to if, if you had uh, uh, a suspicion that your child was in trouble? And I might list you know, three or four kinds of crises that, uh, that I've seen among kids. And frequently, that leads to uh, introductions where I can uh, assess whether I think this person is safe to introduce students to. Uh, 
right? They're, they're people who are professionals who just, they just frankly don't really like kids. Um, or they're not good with kids or kids don't trust them, uh, with, with reasons that once we got to know them, we'd say, Oh yeah, I'm not sure I would trust this person either just because he has a license doesn't mean that he's a, a person that I would want to share my, uh, my pain with. Um, so I don't, uh, I, I don't usually want to refer kids and families to somebody I've absolutely never met. Um, the, uh, the truth is, most helping professionals are willing to to give people like us a half an hour to, to get acquainted. Um, and if they're not, uh, that might be a sign that that uh, they shouldn't be on the list. Um, but a, a brief visit to explain who we are and what we're up to, and, and uh, why we care about kids, and why referral is important to us because we know what we are and who we are, and we know what and who we're not, uh, tends to be a real confidence builder for the, the professional helper, uh, be that a, uh, an MD or a psychiatrist or uh, a counseling professional or, or whatever. Sure, I um, I'd also notice that that works with uh, uh, law enforcement. Uh, that when I get to know people in the sheriff's department, um, they'll take my call when I when I call and say, hey, I, I got somebody who's in trouble over here um, with a, a violent boyfriend or a parent who's acting out or whatever. Can you help me? They'll they'll take that call, sure. Well, I think that's uh, you totally answered my next question. By the way, because <laughs> because and let me tell you why. Because uh, you know the phrase "stay in your lane" comes to mind because so many times youth workers feel like they're fixers, right? They have to fix everything. They, their their job often depends on fixing things, and sometimes because they feel like they have to do that. Uh, sometimes they get in over their head or get into a dramatic situation that now they're now they're stuck or they didn't go through their referral sheet. Um, you know, because a lot of times youth workers are sometimes they're hamstrung by church politics that they they can't help or they can't get involved, or um, they're you know hamstrung by the parents you know who really don't want their help. They don't want them you know butting in or or offering those things. So I think you know in saying that that you have your call sheet that you have your um, you know your referral sheet and all those kind of things are super important because sometimes youth workers feels sometimes helpless. I know I have. I have felt like I am. I, I you know what am I supposed to do now? There's certain things that, that I have my limitations and and uh, and I can't do anything. So I think that's critically important that uh, youth workers that are listening right now. Hope that you're taking notes. I uh, hope you're you're writing these things down and saying, listen, what is my you know you say you know who would I call. You know, who would I call if this happened? Who would I call that? And you've got to have that list. You've got to have that, that, uh, those numbers on speed dial on your phone there and say, these are the people I need to call if such and such were to happen. Um, and that brings me to the next question, I think, which is when it does get to that place, and I guess the, we have to define where that place is, right? When should youth workers, and boy, this is just super uncomfortable for, for youth workers. I know it's for me. Uh, when you have to call the authorities in for a crisis because it impacts the kid, it impacts the parents, it impacts a lot of things. Um, and maybe even get into a little bit more of the, the process of that when you know the authorities need to be called. Who all needs to know that, that the authorities need to be called? And, and how does that process work out? Yeah. One of the barriers that some of us will face in, in churches and parachurch agencies is 
uh, an old, I'm going to say an old boy's attitude because that's frequently what it is. Right. Um, that says, you know, we'll, we'll take care of this, uh, locally. We'll take care of this in the church. In-house, as they say. Yeah. And we have a bad reputation, uh, in law enforcement. We have a bad reputation in, in counseling communities and psychiatric, uh, practices and in hospitals for what is seen as neglect, uh, sometimes seen as cover-up, because um, we just have this code, right, that that we're not going to bring in outside help. And that is no protection for the people that we've pledged to nurture and, and help grow. And it's also no protection from the law uh, if bad things happen. Um, We are, almost every one of us, what's called a mandated reporter. That means that if we have uh, reasonable cause to believe that a child is in danger or is a danger to himself or to others, we are mandated by the law to report that to uh, to someone who can take action and will take action. In theory, um, we ought to be able to, to, to report that right off the chain uh, within our own organization. But in practice, many of us can't for one reason or another. Um, and that means we, we've got to report to somebody else. Um, the, the most important number in my speed dial is the one that I don't even have to uh, remember. It's just 911. That if things are bad enough, uh, and I can't get anybody else to, to respond, uh, then calling 911 uh, should be a live option. If I'm prepared to answer the question, uh, what's the problem with I think this student is a danger to himself, or I think this student is a danger to others. Um, that has to be taken seriously, and um, and and should be taken seriously. So, so the answer uh, to to the question I, I think in general is if, if there are roadblocks thrown up by parents or or by our supervisors or by whomever. Uh, I think we just have to escalate our reporting up the line until somebody pays attention. Um, and we have to be persistent about that. We have to not let it slip through the cracks. If, if we believe that, that someone is in trouble uh, and that that trouble could lead to their harm or could lead uh, them or, or towards them harming someone else, uh, we have to, to say that with conviction whether, uh, well, until we're believed, right? Whether we're believed or not by the parents, by uh, other people in the staff, whomever, if, if we believe it, we have to stand with that. Um, because we've got to live with, with the responsibilities uh, of our uh, positions, whether we act or we don't act. Right? If, if I act and I end up with egg on my face because it turned out not to be as serious as I was afraid it was, okay, I'm embarrassed. Uh, but if I fail to act and, and harm is done uh, or a life is lost, 
I'm more than embarrassed. That's yeah. that. That's tough to live with. Yeah. Um, it's better to be embarrassed. It's way better to be embarrassed. That, that's exactly right. So taking all of, of that seriously is, is kind of square one. Uh, the back door in all of this I've found over the years is that uh, at every school I've ever been associated with, and I've made it a point to build relationships, uh, particularly with administrators at, at the local schools, um, there is at least one person, and frequently one uh, exemplary person who really, really cares about kids and whom kids really, really trust. Sometimes it's one of the vice principals uh, or associate principals. Sometimes it's some someone in, in the uh, coaching department or, or uh, one of the older, you know, more experienced teachers um, who may not be older in years but, but has a lot of years behind him or, or her. Um, but just asking around the kids, right? You can you can figure out who that is or who that's likely to be. And uh, schools are uh, mandated reporters of the first order, and because they deal with uh, with, with kids in crisis all the time, um, they they both know who to call and are known by those they call to be uh, reliable um, sources. So whether that's the you know the, the school resource officer who's a law enforcement officer, um, or or not it is an open question. Frequently, you know that's well that may or may not be the uh, a person who can be helpful in a crisis uh, with one of our kids. But um, if it is, it's that man or woman in the administration or that senior teacher who's going to get the resource officer's attention. Um, and do it in a way that doesn't, uh, that's less likely to escalate things in, in, into an arrest or in, into criminalizing uh, uh, a temper tantrum or, or, or something of that sort. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, going in, and finding that person and, and then over time building a, a two way street around that. Uh, I've often been called by uh, someone at the school to you know, could I come over and, and talk with somebody with with a kid who's gone through a breakup or who uh, is all of a sudden gone from a, a good student to a really really bad student, uh, and and they haven't been able to get through to uh, to to the person to figure out what's going on, and because of my engagement with with kids and families, they hope maybe I can, and, and very often I I have been able to do that so that. Um, I've had some really rewarding partnerships with uh, with schools, always based on relationships, uh, and always based on relationships with uh, with people in the administration and trust that I would not abuse my uh, my access to try to proselytize uh, kids or teachers or try to disrupt the the school environment in any way, but but serve them uh, in ways that make sense to the school. Um, that that to me is part of what it means to be uh, a neighbor. And uh, people like us are uniquely positioned uh, to, to be neighborly to, to schools who are frequently uh, under-resourced to deal with the kinds of things that we're talking about. But when it comes to making the report uh, to, to get help for a kid who's really in a bona fide crisis, uh, they're not under-resourced. They know exactly what they need to do and, and how to keep after it until somebody says yes. Well, well, let me tell you, Jim, you're just 
you're nailing it here because you're. You, have you read my questions? I had some extra questions here, and it seems like you're you're just reading over my shoulder here when you answer these, when you're answering these questions. Um, <laughs> well, good. Well, because and my my other question here is, and this wasn't on the list, uh, but a little bit later I wrote it down. You know that if a youth worker should ever be called to a school, now whether that's during a, a major crisis like you see in Parkland, Florida or whether it's an individual crisis that you're called for, um, you know, what's the protocol for that youth worker? And I know you mentioned some of it, but maybe some best practices because uh, there will be schools at times who will need somebody who's a, a youth worker and who can just do whatever. But what are some best practices? And you included some of them there, but if you have some more, I think youth workers who are listening are going to say, yes, please tell me, what do I do when I show up? Right, right. Well, uh, years ago, I, I was asked by the head of staff at a church I was uh, working in to uh, represent the church in a task force at the school district who were trying to, uh, who were charged with figuring out how do they deal with outsiders on campus, right? It was a place where uh, there were lots and lots of churches and Young Life was in town and Youth for Christ was in town and uh, other kinds of uh, parachurch organization for were in town and the school district was trying to develop a policy that would enable them to uh, be even-handed in, in how they treated uh, individuals who, who requested uh, permission to be on campus with, with students. Among the things that I learned in that uh, was how keenly uh, school administrators, some of whom were on this task force, hold their responsibility for the safety of their students. They understand their job uh, to be uh, ed educational in, in its focus, and um, anything that gets in the way of that focus uh, is a distraction or, uh, and maybe even a threat. Uh, anything that threatens the safety and well-being of, of students, whether that be physical uh, safety or emotional safety, uh, is seen to be a distraction or, or a threat. And so the notion of, of uh, outside religious people coming on campus um, throws up a red flag because they don't know us, they don't know our theology, they don't know whether they can trust us, they don't, maybe they don't know anything about uh, spiritual formation, right? They, they may all be cults as far as they're concerned. Um, but they see their uh, obligation uh, as the, the safety and well-being of each student and of the campus community as a whole. So in embracing that truth about educators and, uh, and uh, acknowledging that um, their job is... Um, it's not the same as my job. And then acknowledging that my job is guided by uh, the, the, the one I follow. Um, Jesus said, uh, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Um, I have, over the years, bumped into youth workers who were all about their rights or the rights of their organization. And I just genuinely have no patience for that. Um, the, the law is clear as a bell on uh, equal access, and it's not hard to navigate all of that in a way that's fair to everybody, uh, or, or at least um, 
equal to everybody. Um, the, the, the much bigger question is, what can I do for this campus community that is meaningful to them uh, and, and useful to them as a, as a service? Um, knowing that I get, you know, I get the extra goodness of being seen by students I serve and, and being involved uh, in ways that are meaningful to them and building their confidence in who I am and what I'm up to and who the church is or the organization is and what we're up to. And, and all of those are, are significant benefits. Uh, but they flow out of servant. They don't flow out of uh, uh, storming the, the gates and, and demanding rights to uh, to be able to do whatever I want to want to do on, on campus. Uh, the, the protocol is when if, if uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just saying. I, I, it sounds like you're saying don't burn your bridges. <laughs> that that would be right. Um, yeah. Um, the protocol having built trusting relationships or, or in the process of, of building trusting relationships is, is if I'm if I'm asked to, to talk with a student who uh, who is in crisis, uh, I should focus upon uh, the crisis itself and referring that that person and his or her family to additional resources, uh, not signing them up uh, in our every mem member campus, uh, you know, come November for, uh, for stewardship, not getting the kid into my youth group. If she wants to come to my youth group, um, chances are she'll find a way to, to show up there. If that's what I lead with, or if I think that's uh, the solve for a problem, chances are I'm deluded. Um, because uh, if it were as simple as everybody who shows up is fine, uh, well, we just wouldn't have any crises, would we? Um, so being trustworthy and circumspect and <clears throat> not doing uh, to the, the, the campus administrators and teachers what I would not have them do if they were to show up at my church, um, all of those are just... Um, the sort of commonsensical sorts of things that we can, I think we can figure out. Um, along the way, uh, following through and following up, I think is very important. Yeah. Um, you mean like call the school and say, how was this student doing? Yeah. Um, uh, and in particular calling a, a specific person. An administrator um, or, or school counselor or somebody like that. Yep, yep. I've made the call to to a counselor. Uh, right, they're they're generally alphabetical <laughs> uh, in the student body to 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 say you know Jocelyn Smith um, just lost her dad and um, she's uh, not doing well with that and I just wanted you to know that and um, I, I, the, her her mom knows I'm calling and uh, I just. Would really appreciate it if, if you would feel uh, feel uh, comfortable in letting her teachers know that that she may be a little sketchy here for uh, a bit. And every time I've done something like that, the counselor has a been delighted uh, and grateful, and frequently surprised. Right, if they didn't already know me, or I, and I know them, um, but also they followed through. Um, and if I've taken the trouble, um, you know, a month later to, to call back and say, Jocelyn's doing great, uh, or she's back on, 
on track or uh, I mean, she's got she's regained equilibrium they're happy to know that um, and um, that's the kind of thing that, uh, that that creates for them a conduit with with teachers that isn't uh, artificial but is but but's a real uh, natural way to say I'm, I'm paying attention to your students and I want you to know that and as you no doubt know a lot of counselors uh, uh, feel like paper pushers, uh, I mean, school counselors, uh, and test uh, preparers and, and uh, guidance uh, career counselors uh, rather than the, the kinds of things that they had maybe hoped they would do when they, they first got into college and think, thought, yeah, I'd like to be a high school counselor or a middle school counselor. Uh, so anytime we treat them uh, with the knowledge that, that they've got some, some training and some experience and uh, that we appreciate that about them, um, you know, doesn't mean we have to agree about everything they think or say. That's not what this is about. Uh, this is about uh, acknowledging that they're professionals, and, and we uh, we respect that. We, we treat them that way. They tend to treat us more like professionals. Exactly. Uh, and you know what? That that brings up a good point too. That because that uh, I got a question on uh, when I posted that you were going to be on the show today. Uh, somebody had asked, you know, about where. Um, where, I mean, if they're calling a pastor, they kind of know what they're getting. And and where does that come into play when you're talking about students? Uh, and we're not talking about proselytizing. We're not talking about, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, and I know some of these youth workers who are listening are saying, well, what can I pray with them? Can I – should I offer them, you know, 23rd Psalm or, you know, something like that? What would you recommend in those cases – and maybe even add into that, what are some of your, your I don't know, if, there, if you have any, maybe go-to stuff from Scripture that you use in times of crisis? Yeah. Well, easy answers are not uh, not easy living. <laughs> uh, so uh, I would say uh, quoting fragments of Scripture as if they were actual uh, crisis solvers is probably uh, – not worth much. Um, on the other hand, uh, dealing with the narrative of the biblical text in uh, dealing with suffering, dealing with uh, with pain, dealing with uh, the, the need for endurance, all that stuff is useful. And um, you know, it doesn't. It's not going to help. Um, a kid for me to say, as the Apostle Paul says, um, or as Isaiah uh, mentioned, because you know, she doesn't know who the Apostle Paul is. Yeah, she doesn't know who Isaiah is. Um, but to, to, at, at, a, at a higher level, right? Uh, meaning not on the ground, but at you know, 10,000 feet. Sure. To say, you know, I, I live in a tradition where suffering. Um, is acknowledged and where lament that that sense of sorrow and wishing things were better than they are or different than they are is very much a part of, of the way we see the world and the way we treat each other. Um, so I'm sympathetic to what you're talking about. Um, right to, to deal with it at, at the level of uh, um, the, the Forgive me for this. The meta narrative. <laughs> no, I, I completely. You're, you're digging right. You're digging too deep. Possibly, uh, stay stay at the thirty thousand feet. Right. I, I think so. Yeah. Um, 
I've often said to somebody, uh, you know, I don't know if you believe in this kind of stuff, but I, I, I kind of, I'm a prayer. <laughs> and if it doesn't offend you, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for you after we're done today. Um, and, and over the next few days and ask God to give you help. Uh, and, uh, mostly, you know, the worst I've gotten would be a, a slight twitch around the eyes that where they were not rolling their eyes. <laughs> and they were kind enough to me to not roll their eyes, but, but uh, you know, they weren't, weren't sure they bought it. Uh, but sometimes people have said, yeah, I really would, would appreciate that. Um, and um, on occasion, I felt free to say, would you like me to pray for you right now? Um and um, not often, but occasionally, uh, I've asked that question, and and, uh, and a person has said, "Yeah, that'd be great." At, at which point, I, I try to be uh, again at thirty thousand feet instead of uh, down in the in my own prayer closet, as it were, sure. Um, sure it's. because it's it's contextual. Right. Uh, so, may I answer the question you're asking? Oh, you absolutely are, because I know that there are youth workers thinking they want to. It's it's. You know, sometimes we want to jump the gun. We want to get right to the thing, right? We want to, this is the, and this goes back to the listening and the assessment because, um, you know, sometimes youth workers, we want to jump right to the, right to the quick answer when really we should be doing more listening rather than saying, I have a scripture for that. I haven't, you know, the, the thing you said about Wayne Rice saying, you know, ask questions you have no answers to, you know, sometimes we have to go in. Even though we have, we know the answer. Sometimes we have to go in and say, "I just need to listen, listen to what you're saying to me." Right? Yeah. You know that not the kind of listening where I'm going to listen. I'm only listening to you so we can get to my part. You know where yeah. right. this is the part where I fix you, and if you listen to me, everything's going to be fine. Right, right. And and sometimes um, what I know is not really an answer. It, it's uh, really not the answer. It, it's a it's a comfortable habit. Um, so somebody a few days ago after the, the shootings in South Florida uh, posted uh, a picture of a T-shirt where a, um, a concerned student is saying, God, why did you uh, allow this, this person to kill all of my fellow students? Uh, and on the T-shirt, right, they, they can be reduced, reduced to a T-shirt, uh, we may already be in trouble. Um, God responds on the T-shirt. Uh, don't don't ask me. Uh, I'm not allowed in school. And I thought, you know, really, uh, do you, how how disconnected is the person who wears that T-shirt from the biblical description of God? Yeah. who cannot be kept from being anywhere God wants to be. Uh, that, that's just a ridiculous uh, and shallow theological suggestion. And, and secondly, how little does this person know about school? Um, there's no place in this world where there are more quick prayers to God at one time than a class where a test is about to, uh, to take place. <laughs> no doubt. Or you're about to ask the girl to the dance. Right, exactly. And and that's, you know, that's a goofy way to say it. But sure. there, there are people who pray their way through through every day. Um, and if 
Jesus is to be believed, and, and I acknowledge that um, that's a real question among evangelical folks right now. But if Jesus is to be believed, um, uh, public praying is not not what he's looking for. Um, if we think that God has been expelled from school because we are not permitted to compel students to pray a uh, a specific prayer at a specific time in the day. Right. Um, I just don't find anything particularly Christian about that. Right. Um, Understandable. Understandable. I think we, once again, we reduce things down to, uh, like you said, nonsensical things that have nothing to do with the reality of who God is and who scripture declares him to be. So we, uh, and that's maybe just the finiteness of, of some people's minds that, uh, you know, we, we try to reduce it to the answer that we are, why we have the things happening in school is because, uh, you know, some sort of uh, a religious protocol is not being followed, uh, uh, you know, or, or, or according to them, whatever their, whatever that protocol is, which it differs from, from person to person sometimes. Well, as, it, uh, as the elder John says, we all sin in many ways. Yeah. So I, I have no intention of holding um, me or you up as paragons of perfection uh, related to any of this. Please don't. Um, uh, right. um, and I have no intention of um, listening to nonsense from well-meaning uh, but uh, perhaps under-informed Christian people uh, and saying, well, you know, whatever you believe is fine. Uh, sure. because the, the biblical text doesn't really encourage that sort of uh, infantilization of adults. Well, Jim, you've been very generous with your time. I, I, I want to ask you another question. Since you brought up Parkland now, and this is something maybe that, that a lot of um, uh, youth workers are thinking about too, is that uh, what we know from, from Nicholas Cruz and things like that, that, um, you know, he obviously had this, you have this fascination with weapons, and I see more and more too. I do on my on my Instagram when I'm scrolling through. Sometimes I'll see you know kids that I've ministered to at camp or other places that you know you see guns, you see pictures of kids holding guns, you see these things. What if a youth pastor? How should a pastor or a youth pastor um, um, you know approach kids who have you know an unnatural draw or fascination? to weapons or violence? Yeah. Let's start by talking about context for a moment. Um, most of my social media friends are adults, and the most uh, the people who seem most fascinated uh, with weapons and violence uh, in, in my world are adults. Um, and they have a, a strong influence on the uh, adolescents and children in their lives. Um, so there's a fair chance that um, that it's not just the child uh, who, who is fascinated or uh, who fetishizes weapons and, and violence. Um, we have a lot to answer for culturally, I think, because we have made it clear that um, it's uh, it, it's better to make war than peace um, and that uh, the, the most lasting peace is at a 
national and international level, the most lasting peace is made by waging war or committing acts of violence um, through uh, through force rather than than authority. So all that to say that that uh, the kids are not um, coming out of the womb with this. Uh, they are well schooled and all of that. Um, here's what I what I think we can generalize about Nicholas Cruz uh, that. Um, he he is very very uh, angry and aggrieved. Um, there are lots of other things going on, um, but the the action of taking other people's lives in in the way that uh, he is alleged to have done is, uh, is is selfish and driven by anger and um, expresses the right to take others' lives. Uh, and that's just—it's a sort of madness, right? That's a—that just makes no no sense whatsoever. Right. We tell children when they're young to use their words to express anger and disappointment and frustration and all of that. The, the problem is most kids don't have very many words. Um, the the emotional vocabulary of most uh, adolescents and young adults. Well, let's just generalize. The emotional vocabulary of most of us <laughs> is, you know, a, a few words. Um, and, you know, if we're really on top of it, a few dozen words, and that's just really not enough. Uh, I think part of our mission as youth workers is to help uh, help people find and master the words that will uh, express what they mean. Um, the, the, the more kids are able to describe the difference between frustration and uh, disappointment, uh, the more quickly they'll be able to resolve uh, a, a problem or, or a crisis. Um, the, the, the process of uh, asking questions, I think, should include um, giving people, giving kids to, to dial, dial us in on, on what it is they're feeling, even if they don't know, right? So uh, somebody who says, uh, I, said, I, I said, you seem really angry, and they said, I really am angry. So we'll, we'll help me understand uh, what that looks like for you. Are you? Would you say that you're more angry, or or you're more frustrated? And maybe they'll say, "Well, you know, I'm I am frustrated. Uh, I'm frustrated because." Or I may say, "Well, tell me about your frustration." And they'll say, "Well, it's because of this, that, and the other." Um, and along the way, I might say, "Are you more frustrated, or or is there also some disappointment in that?" Um, and, and we go down that path for a while. Uh, the the, the sub-chapters uh, in our emotional lives, right, go in, uh, into such depth. And we find that when we can name something, um, we can often decide what we want to do about that. Um, we've all had the experience of being startled or, or frightened uh, by a sound in the dark or by the, 
you know, footsteps of somebody running up behind us um, who it turns out aren't, aren't any threat at all, <clears throat> at all. It turns out that it's our brother or sister or cousin or friend who really loves us <clears throat> and is rushing up behind us to give us a hug. And there's nothing particularly threatening about that. In fact, it, it might be quite a lovely thing. Um, but it involves turning around and seeing uh, who we're dealing with and what we're dealing with. And once we've put a name to that, then we can laugh at the fear uh, that, that we experienced or we can say, you know, don't do that. You know, that frightens me or whatever we want to say about it, whatever's the, the truth about it. Um, sorry, it's a long-winded way of, of saying I think we have to develop for ourselves uh, sophisticated and expansive emotional vocabularies and use the right words at the right time to, to describe what we're talking about. And that we have to engage kids, not by lecturing them or teaching them lessons, uh, but by asking them questions to find out what, what they're really dealing with. Now, I'm about to verge on talking dirty, and you can decide what you want to do with this, okay? It's okay. We're, we're free and clear here. We can, we can handle it. We got, we got grown-ups listening, I hope. What we're dealing with is at least two generations of Americans who um, have condensed into uh, a single word way too much or way too many meanings, right? <clears throat> and that word uh, rhymes with duck and muck and cluck and stuck. Um we use that word uh, to describe being intoxicated. We use that word to describe uh, sex acts. We use that word to describe uh, being uh, confused, baffled. We use that word uh, to threaten people. Don't f*** with me. It's the same word as I am so f***ed up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In, in a word or in, in a space where one word uh, carries too many meanings, it, it doesn't mean any of them. Uh, and, and so because that is the most outrageous word we have, uh, give or take, um, if that word can't express outrage, then I have to find another way to do that if, uh, if I'm inclined to act on my outrage. That's why I've gone under the seat um, back when a lot of us were young, younger was a comfort because we could menace people with that gun, and that carried the message. Um, it's why uh, if... If I understand correctly, uh, the, the father of the household in, in which uh, Nicholas Cruz has been living since November, uh, he, he described uh, insisting that when Mr. Cruz showed up with four or five weapons uh, when he moved in, he insisted that he uh, buy a gun safe and lock those guns, uh, three of which uh, uh May, might be described as assault-style weapons, um, and, and give him, the uh, head of the household, the father uh, in the household, uh, the, the key. And he believed that, that he'd done that. Uh, well, you know, for my money, 
the, the point of assault weapons has something to do with assault. Um, that it's that, that the aggressiveness of those kinds of, uh, of military style weapons is, is an indicator that um, somebody wants some adventure or wants to be prepared for the worst case or uh, is thinking about revenge or retribution. Uh, and um, uh, that just leads to tears, right? Um, so where we can find uh, kids who are struggling with stuff and help them use the language uh, that God and our culture have gifted us with uh, to, to find solutions for their pain or their frustration or their anger or whatever it is, uh, and uh, in naming those things, decide what to do with them. And frequently, for those of us who follow Jesus, uh, that decision is to somehow surrender uh, whatever that pain or that frustration or that anger or that uh, hopelessness might be uh, to the God we believe loves us and, and has created us uh, for heaven and and, um, and to build comfort out of our pain out of our suffering instead of creating more suffering and more pain. Um, that's, that's gospel living, right? That's, that's the stuff that, that we say we believe. Right. So, uh-huh. so, in, so in, in, if I have a kid, let's say in my youth group, and, and this is once again, correct me if I'm summarizing it correctly, is that what, you know, that the focus we have in trying to help this, this kid isn't the focus on the weapons or on the, uh, we're trying to, once again, like you said, peel away the onion. We're trying to ask better questions. We're trying to find out, you know, why this kid seems to be gravitating towards those things and underpinning all of this bravado, whether it's online or Instagram or things like that is we're trying to get to someplace else. We're trying to get a young person, man or man or young man or woman to, to express what they're really, what's happening right now. Why, you know, where, where is this coming from? Yes. That's right. I think that when I am talking to a man who has spent a quarter of a million dollars on a car that will do 180 miles an hour, it, it has almost nothing to do with his interest in getting across town. Um, he, he will never drive that car as fast as it's possible to drive. Right. Um, he, he will. He's doing something else. It's not about transportation. Right. Um, well, that's a great example. When we deal with with kids who are overly competitive, meaning it disrupts their relationships and, and their life, and, and in a sense may become periodically a crisis in and of itself. When we deal with kids who are overly concerned about the way they dress or the way they, you know, they wear their, their, their hair or makeup or whatever that may be, um, meaning that it disrupts their relationships and, and, and maybe their normal routines of living and may in itself become a mini crisis or even a, a chronic crisis over time. Yeah. Um, right. The, to, to ask the kinds of questions that get to the story behind the story, 
That's the, the thing. And sometimes that means asking unaskable questions um, because uh, sometimes the, the, the pain, the anger, the frustration is not about entitlement. It's about loss. Yes. Uh, people who have been victims of sexual assault or physical assault, um, some of them experience post-traumatic stress. Uh, some of them uh, experience rage. And rage, uh, uh, kids don't get in trouble for being angry. Uh, but they should get in trouble uh, when they express rage um, because other people get hurt or property gets damaged or they injure themselves uh, in, in a rage. And um, it may be that we'll, as much as we'll find out anything about this episode, um, in South Florida, we may find out that this bubbling rage has has been going on for a long time, um, and it's a, a rage that um, led into a meticulously planned assault uh, and and massacre. Um, the the profile of school shooters is. Uh, really covers about uh, 30% of everybody we know who's an adolescent, right? It, it's male. It's a, it's a person who is reasonably intelligent, does reason, reasonably well in, in school, has friendships, may be involved in, uh, in campus organizations voluntarily, just like Nicholas Cruz was involved in JROTC uh, at school, right? These, these are not lone wolves by and large. Uh, by and large, they may be weird, they may be spooky, they may be unpleasant, they may be threatening. Um, they are not living in a swamp somewhere. They're not communing with the animals. Right. They're, they're in society and um, they can be observed. And as we observe them, we either turn away or we turn towards. And um, sometimes... Uh, Sometimes turning towards people in, in the spirit of Jesus uh, can, and in that spirit, asking unaskable questions about their lives and finding out um, the story behind the story can, can lead to some healing. Uh, I don't know that there are any guarantees about that. Sure. Oh, uh, no, probably, probably, most likely not. But, but that doesn't mean we don't ask the question either. We, 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 we ask it in hopes that... Um, uh, that whatever comes out of that is once again leads to somebody's healing, right? Leads to uh, somebody's hope in Christ and and somebody who recognizes maybe the the hurt that they never knew they had um, yeah. in that regard. Yeah. But um, Jim, you've simply uh, you know, uh, and I hope and I know I, I'm you know you've wet you know I think the appetite of every youth worker listening to say how can I ask better questions. How can I be a better listener? How do I build relationships? And, and I believe every youth worker listening, I, I know that these guys and, and you guys that I'm talking to are, are wanting to do your dead level best to help a kid. Um, you know, and, and, and I think what Jim's talked about today, I hope that you'll be, and here's where I want to lead into this, Jim. Jim, talk about this, these, um, these crisis worksheets that you have. Tell me some of those because... They're on his website over at uh, the uh, tiny little, uh, the tiny company called me.com, right? 
And, yes. and, and youth workers are trying to do their very best. You want to give them something simple to use. Talk about some of those and some of the topics that you, that you have available there. Yeah. What's up there so far uh, is uh, asking good questions. Uh, bullying, uh, when someone is the target of uh, bullying, uh, confidentiality, cutting and self-harm, hazing, rage, referral, getting professional help, reporting abuse and neglect, sexual abuse victim, um, suicide and homicide threat help sheet, and uh, traumatic events. Um I should say that these are not medical or legal advice because I'm not a doctor or a lawyer. Um, but what they are is uh, is a, a one-page or, in a few cases, two-page uh, guide about what to do right now. Um, half of them, uh, of, of what I just listed, uh, is available free for anybody who wants to download. So the, the help sheet on asking good questions, uh, the help sheet on uh, uh, referral, the, the, those are free, along with, with several more. The, the suicide and homicide threat help sheet, free. Um, the rest of them are almost free. A couple of bucks, and uh, you're free to make a copy of it, give it to your volunteer team. Um, you know, I'd prefer that you not uh, make a copy of it and give it to everybody in the world, uh, because I'd like to survive to do a whole bunch more of these. Uh, but um, you know, these are, are are meant to help right now, because uh, right now is when we frequently need some help. Uh, other things in the pipeline, uh, I'll be doing uh, uh, shortly something around bullying for the perpetrator. Uh, how, how do we deal with the, uh, the kid who is a bully? Uh, uh, and uh, how do we uh, help kids who are uh, sexual abuse, um, sexual abusers, not, not sexually abused, although sometimes uh, they are one and the same. So there are a number of other uh, uh, pieces in, in the works, uh, something around uh, uh, gender and, and sexual expression and, and so on that will be arriving in, in the months ahead. Uh, but the, the goal is, uh, is, is to help people, help kids and, and parents uh, uh, get the additional help that they need as quickly uh, as possible and with as little drama as possible. Well. Jim, you've certainly done that in these sheets. Like I said, I told you earlier that my wife looked at one of them and says, get them all for me. And I said, yes, dear. And, uh, and they're so, uh, they're easy to read. They're easy to follow along with. They're, they're like you said, they're down to one sheet uh, that you can keep uh, alongside your, um, uh, you know, your, your referral sheet, you know, with, with the people you need to call, uh, all those kind of things that make for a great resource. Uh, youth workers, you should just go over there. Uh, just go over to the uh, uh, the tiny company called me.com and just buy all of them. Just down, just buy all of them. You might, you're going to use them. Don't buy one. It's like eating one potato chip. You know you can't eat just one. So <laughs> just buy all of them. You keep them in a folder. You pass them out to your staff. You get them in leaders' hands. You get them into the parents' hands. I mean, this is a win-win, youth workers. I don't know what you're waiting for. You should be just Googling it up and putting it on there right now and just and downloading it while I'm talk. But uh, Jim, I want to thank you so much. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today and just sharing your heart and sharing your wisdom with youth workers today in, a, in, in 
what seems like a uh, one day after another is a crisis and, and helping equip youth workers to deal with those crises. Well, it's really been a pleasure, Paul. Thank you for your uh, insightful questions and, and for uh, inviting me to think out loud. Uh, and uh, if I've made any uh, grave errors, I hope uh, you'll come back and give me a chance to uh, have do-overs on this. Well, and I, yeah, so I don't want to have you on when there's another crisis. I just I want to have you on when we can maybe uh, you know talk in other terms as well. But uh, youth workers, thank you for joining me today. Appreciate you guys being a part of the podcast today. Be sure – uh, to go over there to the tiny company called me.com, download those forms. Uh, but also, I would ask this of you if you would uh, just take a moment and maybe go over to iTunes, that if you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes of the Youth Ministry in Motion podcast, that you'll simply go over there, leave some stars, leave a review, and, uh, and, uh, and you know, help it be found in search and other places, and, and so other youth workers can see uh, the kind of work that we're trying to do here and, uh, and help and equip youth workers. But uh, thank you guys for joining today. Appreciate you guys being a part of it today, and uh, I will catch you guys on the next podcast. Thanks, guys. Have a great day, everybody.